If you are in the 81% of aspiring authors out there, stop aspiring and start writing with Readsy. Readsy allows indie authors to find and work with the best publishing professionals, from developmental editors to book cover designers to publicists. Just sign up for an author profile, browse the extensive marketplace of professionals, find the best fit for your project, and set a collaboration in motion. And with built-in contracts, protection, and mediation from Readsy, finding qualified freelancers, editors, designers, and marketers as a self-published author just got a lot easier. Go to readsy.com today to sign up and set your first collaboration in motion. That's R-E-E-D-S-Y dot com. Honestly, it all stems from just creative fear. I still don't really understand how I do it. I fear not being perfect. That sort of story is inspirational to a lot of wannabe writers out there who feel they have a book in them but are living a totally different life at the moment. I'm watching these students who are given their absolute all, pursuing this creative profession, and they're not held back by fear. Taking a book the whole nine yards, from an idea in your head to words on a page, from a scribble on a napkin to a listing on Amazon, that's easier said than done. But it's also easier than you'd think. I'm your host, Casimir M. Stone, and this is Readsy's Best Seller, the podcast demystifying the process of self-publishing a book for aspiring novelists everywhere, one episode at a time. This is Season 2, Chapter 5, Making a Community. Words, industries, languages, tastes. Everything changes with time. Well, except for some things. We all know the immortal words that nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. It's easy to forget that the inventor, politician, and founding father who said that was also the best-selling author of the autobiography of Benjamin Franklin. Sure enough, the one constant in life besides death is money, and that's truer for writers than for most. The archetypal starving artist rose to popularity in the late 18th century Romanticism movement, depicted as often in paintings, music, and stage shows as it was in literature. Henri Merger's Sens de la Vie de Bohème, the basis for Puccini's famous opera La Bohème, was published in 1851, and it may be one of the earliest and most famous examples of the starving artist. But the idea of writers sacrificing money and well-being for art the idea that writing is purely a creative pursuit that leaves no room for financial security, that idea has been around forever. But the starving artist ideal largely ignores the reality of making art and of creative pursuits. Anyone can write the next great American novel, but if no one knows about the novelist, they may never open up the book in the first place, especially in the age of social media, where even my mom has an online brand. It's no wonder, then, that starving artists are often depicted in isolation, like Van Gogh's single bedroom in Aries or Spitzweg's poor poet, alone on a mattress in the attic surrounded by books. Their success is correlated to their community, or, in both cases, lack thereof. We would like to spend our entire time just creating stories and writing them. But as an indie author, you have two hats you have to put on. 
In indie marketing, we often talk about the importance of this idea of community. A community of supportive writers around you, sure, but also a community of readers. Someone reading a book once won't make your career, but someone caring about you as an author and returning to everything you write will. I think there's still a sense of community. I think that it's just like the book market itself, it's just become so much bigger. But according to Jen Falls, who spent years in the self-publishing industry making friends with other authors and learning from them before finally launching her own Southern Charms Cozy Mysteries series, it used to be that having a community of writers was the same thing as having a community of readers. It was such a small community that simply having books out was enough to be seen. So we've talked a lot about um, sense of community as well in this podcast, and it seems like um, what you're saying is in the early days, that's basically, that was marketing, was this idea of a community, you'd do something and you'd have people who, who cared about it almost built in. Is that you know correct absolutely community was the big thing uh in the earlier days it did feel more like being a part of the community was what uh helped your books be visible and to become successful of course that's an oversimplification but there's no question that it's easier to get readers attention when you're competing with fewer writers self-publishing after all is a business and that's just business 101 As for Business 102, as demand grows, markets grow, and then they become more competitive. As time has moved on, more and more self-published books are out there. Now it's become an issue of visibility. It's true. In this era of self-publishing, where anyone and everyone can publish to Amazon at the press of a button, there's more supply than there is demand, so it's much harder to build a community of readers. And the indie writing community itself, while overall supportive, is getting fragmented more and more as tensions arise. Some would-be authors never get past worrying about the competition, and others still never get past worrying about the market itself. I think the biggest hurdle to get over is the fear that you cannot do the business side of things. For example, I am not a math genius at all. Uh, Numbers scare me. I have not had a math course since the early 90s. And so thinking about how to reconcile spending money on ads versus what's my ROI or returns on investment um, am I getting a good ROI out of the money that I'm spending? That scares me. So I have to do the work in order to understand how that all comes about and how that all works. And that is very daunting and scary, especially, I think, to a lot of creatives, because we would like to spend our entire time just creating stories and writing them. But as an indie author, you have two hats you have to put on. Ultimately, I believe that's why the starving artist has been idealized. It's easier to focus only on your art and fall back on the excuse that this approach is more authentic than it is to risk putting your authentic self out there and having it not be seen. It all stems from just creative fear. That much was certainly true for Jen, at least at first. 
Throughout this series, she's talked about her own struggles with self-doubt and fear of failure. That's part of what stopped her from publishing back when it was easier to find visibility, and it's part of why she failed to find visibility when she finally did get around to writing. Uh, when I first started uh, publishing, my biggest mistake was I did little to no marketing at all. And thinking, well, they'll come find me. You know, my books are good. My covers are good. By the time I was writing Shift to Paranormal Romance, my covers were on on market. My author presence was okay. I mean, I had a Facebook page, but I didn't do much with it. I had a basic website, but I didn't do much with it. Uh, and I threw a couple of book deals a couple of times and saw a spike. But other than that, my expectation was, hey, I've put out the product. It, it matches the market. Therefore, I should be successful. And I was basically still only doing the writer side of my job. Self-publishing means we are the writer and the publisher. And I hadn't quite gotten the idea that I still needed to be the publisher. The intersection between business and creativity is tricky. There's no doubt about it. And to be sure, if you don't want to worry about writing to market or changing your work to make it more readable or networking with other writers or branding your work to make it more marketable, that's fine. If you want writing to remain a hobby, a dream job, that's fine too. In fact, many do just that. If you want to do it as a hobby, you can write what you want to write. You can write... Uh, as creatively as you want, if you're not as concerned about gathering as many readers as possible, uh, then you get to be creative. And I, I, I've been a hobbyist for years. But if you want writing to be a real job or even a career, you need to worry about the one thing that time hasn't changed. Not since self-publishing exploded in the early 2010s, not since Ben Franklin fought for freedom in the 1770s, and not since symbolic metals formed the basis of trade in the fertile crescent thousands of years ago. I'm talking, of course, about money. When I decided to make it my career, I realized I had to focus on both sides. For a writer, this means finding a community of readers and fostering that community so that they care about you as an author and will keep coming back to you book after book. But how do you do that? And how do you decide where to spend your money to get the best return on investment? Well, fortunately for Jen, that's something she eventually did figure out. And after overcoming her own self-doubt, realized it was something she was actually quite good at. This is not an easy job. It is a job. And so I had spent the time doing my research, you know, putting in the work into the business side of things and making connections in the community. As we talked about in Chapter 3, Jen launched her series as an Amazon exclusive, which means she was able to take advantage of Kindle Unlimited's author perks. But it also means that in an industry that's getting more and more crowded by the day, she launched her book into the biggest self-publishing book hub out there. Yet, she still manages to regularly crack the top 100 in her category each time she launches a new book. So how do you find visibility for your book in an overpopulated market? Well, first and foremost, you need books. A lot of them. 
If you write one great book and market it well, readers may very well fall in love with it, but how will they keep coming back to you if there's nothing to come back to? I think the biggest lesson that I learned was not to worry as much about the marketing until I had multiple books out, to, to hold off on my time and my money until I had at least three books out. It might seem counterintuitive to worry about writing a second book before you've even found readers for the first one, but according to Jen, it can often be a good idea, especially in a niche like Cozy Mysteries. Naturally, it's an idea she learned from her community. Putting a lot of money and effort into one book is only going to get you so far because the readers are going to want the next book. And if you don't have another book to give them, then readers will go find someone else for the time being. And you can hope that they've signed up to your newsletter um, or they've liked your author page on Facebook so that when you announce, uh, they'll be right back with you. But that makes sense. You want to spend more marketing money when you have more product to give them. Really and honestly, in the very beginning, my friends told me, don't worry about the marketing. Go make sure you have book two finished. And as soon as I launched book two, the very next day, my friends were like, okay, go write book three. And you can get caught up in what do I have to do to get it visible immediately. And my biggest uh, suggestion that was made to me and that I would pass on is the first job you have, when you're, especially when you're first starting, is give them, a, give them something else to read. In some cases, this actually means giving them something to read for free. That might seem counterintuitive, too, but free books are actually one of the most important tools in a writer's toolkit. And writing a few freebie short stories is a much more enticing prospect than putting together two or three books before launching anything. In the self-publishing world, they're affectionately called reader magnets. I will say that I um, another trick that I learned was to have a reader magnet. And a reader magnet is a free short. It can be anywhere from 2,000 words to, I think mine ended up being closer to 20,000. Mine is a prequel to my series. And you can get it completely free if you sign up for my newsletter. And that has been truly instrumental, I think, in also connecting the readers to my series because I took something very personal to my character, something that happened prior to the very first chapter of the first book. And if they don't read it, that's fine. They're not going to lose anything with my series. But if they do read it, it's going to enhance their experience. They're going to go, oh, I get it when she makes this decision. It's a, it's a little tidbit um, that they can get for free, but only if you sign up to my newsletter. This release strategy doesn't just work on a theoretical level. Amazon uses algorithms to determine visibility, like how books rank on their genres charts and which books pop up as suggestions when customers are shopping. The algorithm can drastically affect your book's visibility, but as Jen found, a rapid release strategy in certain niche markets makes the algorithm work for you, not against. Amazon categorizes its books by such specific genres it can be comical, but the importance of choosing the right category when publishing is anything but. This gets back to writing to market, like Jen discussed way back in chapter one. You need to find a niche that readers are actually interested in reading, but not one so big that you'll get lost in the noise. 
the latest Book and Gen series, which launched just this past week, currently ranks in the top 10 for cozy culinary mysteries, werewolf and shifter mysteries, and vampire mysteries. This is partially because she spent time finding a market that had room for another writer. I spent the almost an entire year uh, researching my market. That went from reading books to connecting with other authors to paying attention on forums and to other reader uh, to other author groups to what was working and what was not working and having these conversations with authors to figure out what were going to be the reader expectations. I spent time long before my book ever came out creating my author presence. So I had an author page on Facebook. I had a very, I had a very basic uh, website. It was just a landing page and some basic marketing images and a link to sign up for my newsletter. I, I created a newsletter and had absolutely no subscribers for months. Um, and then just waited and with, you know, bated breath and hoped that when I launched, you know, uh, now it wasn't going to be launching into a void. But the strategy also works because the algorithm rewards recently released books. Amazon gives extra visibility to books for the first 30 days post-launch. And after that, many authors experience the so-called 30-day cliff drop-off in sales. But if you release a new book shortly after, its recently released visibility will help the previous one, and so on and so forth. So, which cozies and vampire mysteries might not be cracking the New York Times bestseller list anytime soon, but by picking the right categories and pumping enough books into them, Jen landed an Amazon bestseller nevertheless. The strategies that I was using to launch were actually working, like having the reader magnet, um, like putting out good quality Facebook posts, you know, uh, all of that lined up to make a very strong launch. And I think that in and of itself just surprised me. But even once you've found readers, you still need to make sure they stick around. The best way to do this? Well, it's really quite simple. And it hasn't ever changed either. You just need to connect with your readers on a personal, authentic level. So, the fun story is at um, the Nink conference, every year we have what's called the Cozy Luncheon. So, all the authors in our small community that write cozy mysteries, whether regular or paranormal, get together. And somebody last year took a photo of all of us together at the table. And then we were all tagging each other. And I posted it up like, oh, our coven met. And the readers went ballistic over it. They loved that we knew each other, that we were real people, and um, that the coven was meeting, because a lot of us are, are, are paranormal cozy authors. Um, and they loved knowing that, oh my gosh, you know, you don't just cross-promote with each other, you actually hang out together. Um, and, and, you know, I would take pictures, and I would update on my social media, and I get signups to my reader group every time I sign, uh, send a newsletter out because I find that readers like that personal touch. Jen spent years in the industry plagued by self-doubt, writing as only a hobby and professionally dabbling in everything but writing. 
but she also spent that time researching markets, then building relationships with successful authors within them and learning from their mistakes. And with their help, in 2018, she finally launched her own bona fide bestseller. She's now very happy with her current series and very happy with her community of readers, but she's happier with her job. And in order to keep it, she's more than willing to switch lanes if she ever has to. As an indie author, another big benefit is we get to pivot on a constant basis. So if the trying to reach readers through a Facebook group isn't as viable as it used to because now not as many of the people in your group see your posts, well, now you have to go somewhere else. And it's a constant evolution uh, to find that community and to try and keep that community. Because at the end of the day, writing is her career. It's not an easy career to have, but Jen has chosen to rise to that challenge rather than letting it keep her down. Putting your best work out there and building a community around it is hard. But it's better than starving alone. So since writing is the first part of my job, it allows me to uh, create a product, create a story that I know that there's an audience there waiting for it, if I can get their attention. And then it gives me a challenge. I love rising to a challenge. I think I said I love writing cozy mysteries because it's always a challenge to create the, the mystery part of it. Um, and that's why it has captured my attention. It's why I love it. I love the challenge of trying to find that reader. And then I love the challenge of trying to keep that reader. So it, it keeps me active. It keeps me from feeling stagnant, from feeling like my job is just the same day to day. Uh, every day it's a challenge, whether it's writing or marketing, in order to change with the expectations of the readers. Brought to you by Readsy, this is Best Seller. Over the course of this season, we'll follow an indie author's journey from start to finish in five chapters, exploring each step it takes to turn a collection of ideas in your head into a published book. Last up is our epilogue, Always a Challenge. This episode was written, hosted, and produced by me, Casimir M. Stone. If you liked it, please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Our guest for this season is Jen Falls, a.k.a. Bella Falls, author of the Southern Charms Cozy Mysteries series. You can purchase her books on Amazon or on her website at bellafallsbooks.com. And you can follow her on Instagram or Twitter at bellafallsbooks. That's B-E-L-L-A-F-A-L-L-S-B-O-O-K-S. This podcast, like so many self-published books out there, is made possible by Readsy, a marketplace that connects indie authors with the tools that traditional publishing houses would usually provide, such as editors, book cover designers, and publicists. You can learn more about Readsy on Instagram at Readsy underscore HQ, on Twitter at Readsy HQ, or online at R-E-E-D-S-Y dot com.